Welcome to Tasty Deep Dives, the podcast that discusses sustainable food. And I am Catherine. And I'm Isabella. And on this podcast, you know, we want to inspire others by sharing stories and information from people all over the food industry, from farmers to producers, distributors, consumers, scientists, and much more uh, on their views on sustainable food and production, and also the scaling up of the sustainable and organic food industry. So today we're talking to Jorik Kuiper, the owner and founder of the company Amster Hammetjes, which produces uh, vegan saucissons, hams actually, but solely made from vegetables. He used to produce meat and we are going to talk about the process of uh, fermenting vegetables into hams uh, and his future plans. Yeah, it was a very interesting conversation. It definitely made me hungry. So <laughs> make sure that you either have a snack when you're, while you're listening or... Uh, Head over to amsterhamaches.nl and uh, you can also figure out how to buy some. But we hope you enjoy the episode. So welcome to episode two of Tasty Deep Dives. I am Catherine. I am joined by my co-host Isabella. Hello. Uh, and today on the show we have Jorik Kuiper. And again, you will get to hear me say some uh, some Dutch names. Hopefully, they're uh, getting better. Hopefully, I said it okay. Yeah, quite good, yeah. Uh, but Jorik is the owner of Emster Hemetjes, and so we will be talking about that today. Before we get into that, Jorik, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, yeah, your history maybe with the food industry before we get into your company? Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay, so I'm uh, Jorik Kuiper and I started Amster Hammetjes, I think a few years ago, three years ago, uh, next to my work. I worked as an actuary, which is ancient and mathematical finance person. Hmm. So something completely different to <laughs> food. But um, yeah, I, I, I always had a passion with food and I always loved food more than other people do. And yeah, so I, I, I decided to, to start Amster Hammetjes next to my job. Um, and selling first uh, meat hams. Those were hams from, from just regular pigs. And I sold them at the Pure Markt. And uh, yeah, it was really a fun thing to do. I, I really liked it, making the hams and talking to people. People were excited. Uh, I think beginning of this year, somewhere I, I got redundant, uh, both Tallag. And I worked at Nationale Nederlanden. And if you get redundant by Nationale Nederlanden, they gave me some money and some budget to get some education. And I decided to go full on selling food. Okay. And then I thought, what kind of food? Do I want to sell? Mm-hmm. And actually, for me, it was quite clear that I, I wanted to s- sell something vegan. And that was because uh, I wanted to reduce my own meat uh, eating pattern. Uh, and I just I couldn't find a lot of good alternatives. Uh, and I thought, well, I know a lot of food and I like uh, being creative. I like doing new t- things. Why can't I think about something vegan and, and sell it to the market of course also the business opportunity uh, i think in amsterdam people are eating less and less meat and more and more plant-based yeah if you want to have a sustainable company for over more decades and i think uh, vegan is is a way to go and are you vegan yourself now no no i still eat uh, my meat and, and i really do love it and and i also loved <laughs> it as a small child uh, so much I, I i know that uh, every time i, I w- would go to uh, the butcher with my mother that um, they have like this glass 
windows where the meat is uh, behind. <laughs> and I would go with my both hands and with my mouth on the glass from left to right and <laughs> making stains everywhere. And and I, I, it always stayed in me. And, and I tried being vegan for some time, but yeah. It, missed, the, I, missed the meat too much. <laughs> Uh, but now with uh, Emster Hamachis, you uh, yep. you only are selling you know like plant based meat, right? Or with yep. vegetables, it's no meat anymore. No, no, no. Now now it's uh, full plant based. Yeah, and what vegetables do you use? And also the vegetables do you that you use are they organic, or local to the Netherlands? How do you decide on the vegetables? Yeah, so that's a funny thing because first when I thought going vegetable that that I thought margins would be really high, but vegetables are quite expensive, uh, <laughs> and and especially in these days where, where meat is. Like you have the bio industry and they get special food, mm-hmm. soya food, so they produce quicker. And um, meat is, isn't just that expensive anymore. So uh, in, in deciding what kind of vegetables I use, uh, I really also have to look at uh, how much do I pay for these vegetables, especially when you want to go organic. And I really do want to go organic. But for instance, my carrots, I, I have to pay like five, six times more for a biological carrot than for a normal carrot. Oh, wow. Is it really so, that much? Yeah, it's re- that's really crazy. And, yeah. and another problem is that there aren't a lot of people selling biological or, or big companies selling biological vegetables. So you know, also availability is a big problem. Then you really come to the Dutch vegetables. And I think carrot is a cheap vegetable where you can make good ham off because it's hard. And then we have celeriac, which is a little bit expensive. And it, the availability, of, especially in organic, is quite difficult. Uh, and beets, yeah, which are also, I think, a typical Dutch vegetable. I want to have the local team. So I want to have vegetables made here in Holland, made in my own kitchen, and then sent to someone here in Holland. I don't want to have the big DOT to transport. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah. Which one is your favorite? <laughs> it's difficult. So is that like choosing um, your favorite child? <laughs> uh, um, I, I like the carrot and I like the celeriac uh, a lot. I like the carrot because it doesn't have a lot of taste, and the things I do to it, it's really in the flavor. Mm. Uh, whereas if you choose for the beet, and beet has such a strong flavor, it's really sweet. It, it has this earthy notes. And when I brine it, when I ferment it, when I get these flavors into it, it isn't, you taste it, but not as good as with the carrot. And so then what actually is the process of turning, you know, a regular carrot or a regular beetroot uh, into this dried sausage or saucisson or like, you know, a charcuterie? Yeah, 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 no, that's a good question. So the the funny thing is that I, I do... A lot the same as I did with my meat hams. I, I first I, I brine them, but I think I don't know if brining is the, the right word. I, I, I salt them and then I uh, vacuum them. Yeah, that's the same word in English. Yeah, right. Okay, so I, I thought brine is always in, in liquid, but I brine them, uh, and and because of the brine to to take it all up, I also uh, cook them first. It's get the salty flavors, mm. and then also oh, the vegetables are not raw; they're cooked. Yeah, they're cooked. So, so, and that's so that the brine can penetrate easily. Soak up. Yeah, sure. Okay. And then I, I put them in a fermentation chamber with some goji. I don't know if it's 
says something to you, but kochi is a, a malt from from Japan, mm-hmm. and in Japan they use it to make uh, misos, to make soy sauce, to make sake, that kind of stuff. And I use it to get a malt uh, over the vegetables. And the funny thing of this malt is that uh, when it grows, it, it makes enzymes. And these enzymes, they break down carbs and protein. And that breaking down of carbs and protein, that really gets some extra flavor to the vegetables. So I, I put them in, an, in a chamber where the, the temperature is on 30 degrees and we have a, a humidity of 60 to 70 percent. That's the perfect condition for koji to grow. Um, and in a day, some more, there will be a mold around the vegetables. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's qu- quite cool to see. And it goes quite fast uh, with the goji malt. It's it's qu- uh, quite an aggressive uh, malt. To think that, that goji is also the maker of soy sauce. Mm. And if you think about uh, soybeans, they don't have any taste. In uh, making soy sauce, they, they uh, combine the proteins from the soy, uh, for soybeans with goji malt. And you'll get soy sauce you have to wait a long time but you'll get it and it's quite an aggressive malt and uh, so it, it goes quite rapidly and after that day I'll, I'll take them out of the chamber and and i'll dry them that sounds like a quite labor intensive process yeah do you get any help or is it just you it's just me yeah, the, but, yeah. how long does well, it take actually from you know a raw vegetable to a amsterhamitsche vegetable it depends on how many time you take to brine in Two three days, you you could brine it, but you also could brine it longer. The, the brining is a, a big step. Then uh, you have to have it a day in in the fermentation chamber, and then I'll uh, now I'll u- I am using a drying chamber, so that's a chamber who blows wind at the vegetables, and uh, it also raises the temperature up to forty to fifty degrees, and that's the temperature at which the goji mold dies off. Uh, but the enzymes it exceeded a day at the best optimum temperature. Uh, you increase the um, enzymatic uh, reaction and you kill off the goji spores so they don't produce anymore. Does this process smell like the fermentation process? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and and it's really uh, it's a it's a good smell. It's a um, fruity smell. It's uh, it, it smells like abrikose. Oh ap- wow! Ap- apricot. Apricot. Yeah. But also, uh, how do you call it? Yeah, the the smell of hams. Like if you go to Italy and then you'll walk into a salumerie over mm. there, you you'll have the yeah the dark like a dried oh, meat smell kind of yeah. Yeah. Also a little bit. Yeah. How many of those do you make uh, simultaneously? I I don't make that much that I really can <laughs> say uh, I make them every Wednesday. So I, I make them on demand. But for the Pure Markt, I, I'm I'm standing over there at the Frankendal uh, every month. Over there, I made I'm, I'm doing it more in kilos. So I made ten to fifteen kilo, which is like fifty hams. And when you're making this, so, I mean, do you, have you been able to compare your company's carbon footprint in terms of what it was when you were making with meat and now when you're making with vegetables? No, no, I, I didn't compare the, the carbon footprint. But if you would look at the calculation, when I made meat, uh, I had my uh, pigs from Spain 
and and now I get my vegetables uh, straight out of Holland. So that's also a reduction in CO2. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. The transportation costs. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, yeah. And so with all of your packaging, packaging for me at least is one of the things that is really hard in the food industry in in terms of, you know, being sustainable where you see things wrapped in plastic or just like excess packaging. Uh, what does your packaging mm-hmm. look like? Now, so I really wanted to uh, wrap them in some kind of paper or some kind of cheese paper, but it, it just doesn't work. And and the problem with the, the vegetable hams compared to the meat hams is that they have a lot of moisture and, and they can't retain their moisture that good. So yeah, I, I, <laughs> I had a lot of thought about getting a good uh, packaging and unfortunately, uh, the best packaging is in plastic. Yeah, that, that makes it really hard. So you don't really foresee a way to not use plastic in the packaging then in the future? No, no, at, at this point not. So uh, I'm working with plasticfreevegan.nl uh, and he's he's carrying my uh, hams or my, my vegetables. He, he comes and picks them up at my home. Mm-hmm. He puts them in plastic bags and he's uh, driving with the bike uh, around around Amsterdam to to sell them. So that's the only way where you can reduce the the plastic packaging uh, from getting it from one fridge to another. Um, well, maybe there are still techniques to be in- invented. Yeah, and maybe somebody is listening now uh, to this podcast and think, uh, well, I have a good idea. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, please uh, enlighten me. Because, yeah, because I'm really, I'm, I really do want to. What does your competition look like in Europe or in the Netherlands? Are there many companies who are doing something similar? I would like to call myself a pioneer. But what, what I do see in, in Europe, the competition, they're really trying to uh, sell something that looks and tastes like meat. And it, it quite annoyed me that if you want to eat less meat, that, that you make something in a really uh, difficult way that, that uh, a normal person can't follow. And I thought, is, is this the way to go to eat less meat, to make something that looks like meat? Vegetables on their own have really great taste. So why can't we just make a vegetable and, and let it taste like a vegetable? And, and that's also what I try to do when, when you eat, these uh, vegetables you will taste vegetable you will taste carrot you will taste celeriac but you also so will get a hint of the the brined ham the the sourness of the ham um so i, I tried not to make a ham or taste like a ham but to let it taste like a vegetable with with uh, the traits of the ham i i don't see a lot of people companies doing it like i do i i see them trying to to make something that looks and tastes like meat you know but do you find that most of your uh, customers are people who are vegan or are vegetarian who uh, for example myself i don't necessarily miss meat so much so i Mm -hmm. wouldn't need you know like a beyond beef burger to taste like a, a, a beef burger like I mm-hmm. you know love be- a beet burger or a chickpea burger or something like I don't yeah. miss the taste however yeah. I do find that if people do have a hard time reducing their meat consumption that kind of like what you said you know like faking the flavor or the consistency is a is a good way to get more people to reduce their meat intake um, yeah. 
you know, but so do you find that like most of your customers are people who are curious about trying to reduce their meat intake or people who are already committed to that? No, so uh, I think my customers are both. So uh, I think uh, vegan people really like uh, the way the uh, the vegetables taste really, uh, they have a really pronounced taste and they like it. But I also have customers who, who eat meat and, and think, well, this is a great way to reduce my meat intake to put it next to a, a charcuterie or some some cheese they really like, especially because the vegetables, they can hold their taste. They, they don't get overpowered by the meat or the, uh, the cheeses. So, so. And uh, what do you think is the perfect thing to pair these with? <laughs> That's a difficult question because I think it's quite versatile. Uh, so putting it on, a, a, like, how do you call it, the borrelplank? Yeah, mm-hmm. like a charcuterie uh, platter. Or something. Yeah, so, so on, on a charcuterie platter, it's a really good alternative for some meat at the meat platter. Uh, the combination of the fresh taste of, of the vegetables in combination with the fatty, uh, dark taste of the meat, I think that's a really good combination for, for with some drinks uh, next to that. I think it's also great to, to cook with these or baking them or just uh, slicing them. And to think about an old dish around this mm. item. I really like cooking like that. What I th- think is the coolest of these vegetables is to think about new recipes, to, to eat it together with some mushrooms or something else and make them the star of the dish. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but like with a, a borroplank uh, in the Netherlands or, you know, I think of also like places like Italy or France where this type of kind of snack is really ingrained into the culture. And yeah. so, uh, you know, trying to have people reduce their meat or also cheese consumption when a lot of these plates are primarily filled with meat and cheese, you know, it makes mm-hmm. it very difficult to be more sustainable without losing the culture you know like for you what what aspect of the Bocheplank culture um, and you know creating this be as a substitute does that have anything to do with um, you know like the mission of your business yeah well it's like of course the whole idea because I really like this Bocheplank uh, I really do like it and and <laughs> who does uh, it right <laughs> yeah it's great I mean you have good wine or a good beer with it, uh, some friends, and uh, you'll just have a great night. That was also the the reason I started with these uh, meat hams a few years ago. And actually, uh, everything I think of in uh, options to make for Amsterdamitjes is also linked to this borrelplank. So yeah, for me, it's it's a big part of my life <laughs> and uh, also of, of, of my uh, company and the idea of what I want to do with, uh, I want to make for my company. And and what other products are you thinking of making in the future? Yeah, yeah, good one. So I, I think this kochi, which I make as mold for the, for the vegetables, it's really a great thing. And uh, with this mold, you can really get a lot of deep pronounced flavors in, in all kinds of stuff. So I make soy sauce, um, and, and soy sauce from wheat, uh, not from, from the traditional uh, Japanese soy sauce. And it's, it's so good. It's, it's mm. crazy. I mean, you, you, you get this rice, you cook the rice, you put on this fungus, it, it grows. 
and and then you get it out of it. Uh, I made it with uh, some uh, tarwa, uh, yeah, some wheat, and I baked the wheat in the oven. And then I put it uh, in some water next to the, the kochi mold. And after a few months, and, and you just see it evolve and, and you taste it. And every week it, it gets a little better, a little bit darker, a little bit new flavors. And uh, yeah, that's something I, I want to do something with. But also I, I make these things. You, you can put anything with it. Um, you can also put, uh, for instance, meat in it and you'll get a, like a meat soy sauce. But I also did it with some mushrooms and, and then you'll get a mushroom soy sauce. I, in the future, I would like to do something with that. It's making yeah. me hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> me too, actually. It's, it's not the best time to record a podcast about food. Yeah. <laughs> right at dinner time. <laughs> hey, uh, what I also wanted to ask, Amsterhammetjes, it refers, it's like this uh, wink to, to meat in the name. Do you plan to have other brand names or will you put everything under Amsterhammetjes? And also, what do you think about these uh, Dutch and European legal battles regarding vegan meat named after animal products? The, the, the last question, what, what do I think of these legal bans uh, against vegan products? I, 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 I don't know, man. I don't know why people get so emotional about it. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, I also stood at Puremarkt here in the Frankendal, and people really get upset about calling it ham or trying to let, let it taste like ham. And yeah, I, I, I can't waste too much of energy about that. Do you think that it's misleading, the name of your company? Uh, so the name of the company is, is the name of my company. And I, I started, <laughs> yeah, but I, I started my company a few years ago and, and yeah. I made hams. Uh, I'm doing the same process, only not with meat, but with vegetables. So I don't see why I should change my name. Yeah. I still feel like I'm so and I still feel the pride I had then when, when I made it. And yeah, it, it's an, you know, you know, you always, get better you always change uh, as a company yeah i mean i just i think it's really interesting the um the legal battles because i think like m saying that it's misleading that to call you know like a vegan burger a burger yeah i don't i don't see it to be misleading at all because i i really think that if you're you're calling it like a plant-based burger it, there's no meat in that i mean it's plant-based so uh yeah it's interesting no, it's, for it's, me to hear that you have people that, you know, come up to you saying that they, yeah, that they're frustrated with it or that they don't understand. Those are the people I, I don't spend a lot of energy on. But about the misleading, I do want to change uh, from him to another name. I, I'm, I'm still thinking about what kind of name it would be. And it's because uh, with hams, people instantaneously think about ham and about meat hams. Mm -hmm. And and where I, I had problems with is that it has components of meat hams, but not the full package, uh, especially mouth feeling. I mean, it's still vegetable and vegetable hasn't have uh, doesn't have those those high fats and proteins. So that a lot of people, when they're eating my products, and I would say hams, they think about hams and they can't think about anything else. But so, you could also say the same for you know milk, uh, coconut milk, yeah. or a burger. I mean, a burger would have you know 30 years ago people would yeah. immediately always think of a juicy beef burger so maybe you're just you know starting you're the pioneer you are you're starting the <laughs> the vegetable hands yeah 
yeah, yeah, and I, you know, that, that is true. But for me, I want to be something new. I want to be. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. I understand. Um, so one of our, one of the last questions I think that we'll have is, you know, what dreams do you have for your brand and product in the future? And, you know, how do you foresee it growing? You talked about soy sauce and, you know, various other things, but what's your, what's your end goal? My end goal. Yeah. So I think I'm focusing now, especially on the near future. So I really want to make people happy and to have a sustainable uh, company at, at this moment. And at, at this moment, I, I don't have that yet. But if I really look in the far future and want to do something differently, oh man, I'm, I have a lot of ideas. And <laughs> I, I mean, I do techniques now and I think I, I want to go, go on with that kind of stuff. So uh, making more project products with the same uh, love and energy as, as people did for meat. Because if you think about it, if you have a, a ham from Spain, which is really the best ham in the world these are hams who, who are brined for a few months and then they get out of the brine and they will they will hang it two years and after one year it, it lost so much moist that they get some uh, fat and they cover it so that it doesn't lose any more moist and it's a process of two years and then you get like the best meat you, you'll ever taste and I think this should this could also be true for vegetables. If I have so much thought about how vegetables could be, and and if I have a vegetable where I would work on it for like two years, that would be the best place. are endless. Yeah, yeah. But we we need to think about it because like like the last two hundred years we only thought about meat and I, I get it because meat was the lux- luxurious uh, food. But now I think people see that meat isn't that great anymore and that they also see the plus points of of vegetables i I am sure that if we have the same love we have like the last 200 years for meat now for vegetables we will get something that is so awesome and 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 i want to see that as my end goal i want to make something so cool so differently that that people all over the world would say well do you know that product in the holland that's Mm -hmm. the best that's very inspiring. I'm uh, I'm excited to see to see what you do with that. I, your three vegetables, the the beetroot, the carrots, and the celeriac, are not the end of the Amsterhamiches. So so okay. So when I said the last question, you know, it was a bit that's a bit misleading because we do like to end every episode <laughs> just with a couple quick questions. Um, so first one: What is one thing that an individual can do today to help make an impact in sustainability? Today. Yeah. Uh, so I I think if you eat meat, eat less meat. That's also that's always the the first thing you could do. But I don't want to be in like the police from don't eat meat or don't do this. I mean, if you just think about being more sustainable for like 15 minutes a day, just 15 minutes a day, think about it. How how would you do it? If you do that every day, then then you'll get creative and you will find something new, something new, and maybe. You will have a thing that could help us all and, and would be really great and would be so much more effective than not eating meat for a week. Hey, and um, what is the last day that you ate today? So it's, it's quite bad, by, but I really, I really love uh, like the noodle soup. Ah. Do you know these? Yeah. I, I, I'm addicted to that and, and I, I eat them much too much and 
I ate a uh, noodle soup uh, before this uh, interview, and I really should eat less of it. <laughs> it's not very uh, culinary. <laughs> no, no, no. It, but yeah, it's like my guilty okay. pleasure. Okay. It's warm. I mean, it's a bit chilly outside. It's kind of getting windy. I can, I can see why you wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, and then what's something that you struggle with in food and sustainability? At this moment, I'm really struggling with, with the availability of uh, organic. For instance, my, my salary. I, I really want to be, to be uh, organic, but <laughs> it's hard. If, if I decide, well, now, today, I want to make celeriac, vegetable, charcuterie, I couldn't. I, I need to know in a few days in advance, call somebody, do you have it? Do you have not? I have to get a minimum order of 75 euros. So, so for me, that that's quite it's quite difficult and when i started uh, with the idea of of going vegan and and getting organic stuff i, I would go to how you call it it's a groenteboer vegetable grocery store i don't know if you, i would call it like a far, like a farmer's market a farmer's like, market uh, yeah okay i would go there because they're specialists in in vegetables and i would say well you have organic vegetables and they wouldn't have it no groenteboer in amsterdam has it and uh, yeah for for me that that was quite struggle getting good organic food cheaply well thank you again so much um you know if people thank want you. to buy some of the amster hemmetjes where can they go to buy them you can always go to amsterhemmetjes.nl www.amsterhemmetjes.nl or you can go to the the frankendaal pure markt perfect and do they also do the market through the winter seasons as well yeah so so they try to do it every uh, month even in the winter season so uh, if it's not too bad of weather they, they'll just go on yeah. well awesome yeah that's all i i hope that people enjoy listening to this i know that i certainly mm -hmm. did especially you know learning about the process of how of how you make these that was really interesting for me and yeah. i'm excited to try some yes yeah, we should also. really arrange this all the short term i'm very curious yeah. now Yeah, let's do that. And uh, you, both of you also, thank you for the interview. I also enjoyed talking to you guys. So thank you for that.